welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you, church. Welcome today as, as we prepare to, to just worship God and, and continue just to press into his presence. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you. We thank you we would get to gather together today to bring glory to your name, to give you praise for all that you have done, to bring before you our hearts, even our supplications today, to lay down any troubles and worries, even any strife that may have come at us over the past week, and just to gather again today in your presence, to seek your face, to come together in unity, not only in prayer, but to hear from you. We just pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit today, that you would speak to us in your word today. Smith Wigglesworth, at the start of the last century, prophesied, Lord, by your spirit. He prophesied that in these last days, word and spirit would become one. The two streams that seemed so separate would become one. People in this camp, people in that camp, that you bring them together and they would flow together seamlessly and perfectly. So, Lord, we seek that harmony today of your word and your spirit to come and teach us this morning. Instruct us in your ways, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. All together we said? Amen. 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 <laughs> oh, good. No worries. So hard to get used to preaching in an auditorium again, but at least this time we have five, myself included, uh, who are here. So, so thankful to the team. Well, today we're going to be talking about authority for revelation. The Word of God instructs us that we have been given authority. Not just any authority, not just another authority, but the ultimate authority. And we're going to take a look at that today, at what this authority reveals to us. This authority has been given to us largely to reveal, but it's been given to us to reveal a few things. First of all, it's been given to us to authenticate the message that we carry. We carry euangelion in the Greek, good news, a proclamation of a new kingdom, a kingdom eternal present here on earth. Good news to people. This authority that we've been given has been given to us to reveal the authenticity of that message. That's one thing. The second thing is to reveal God's victory, God's ultimate victory over the enemy of our souls, Satan, all of the demons, all of the principalities and powers, 
all of the rulers of the air. We've been given authority over them. That authority has been granted to us. God's victory over them is total, and we have that authority. This authority should authenticate that reality, the spiritual reality of our victory over sin and our victory over the enemies of our souls. And the third thing, I've already kind of touched on it, but let's be specific about it. The third thing is this authority reveals that Satan is defeated. Satan is defeated. Say it with me. Satan is defeated. Satan is defeated. Not because of us, but because of Christ who came. Because of the agreement between a father and a son that salvation would come to us. It was going to be provided to us. And all of these things serve a primary purpose. Jesus' primary purpose was to bring glory to the Father. That is the purpose of this revelation. That is the purpose of the authority that we've been granted. So I want to start in Joshua. The Old Testament, you know, the Bible says that, that the Word of God has, is good for instruction, good for instruction in righteousness. So we're going to look in Joshua 10 today, and we're not going to be putting verses up on the screen, but all of my notes will be available to you. We'll email it out uh, to the church. It'll probably go out on Monday. In Joshua 10, the children of Israel have been, are being led by Joshua, and they're going into the promised land. They're taking it. They've just uh, sacked Jericho. God's given them the victory there. They've gone to Ai, sacked Ai. God's given them the victory there. And now it says in verse 3 of Joshua 10, it says, so King Adonai Zedek. Adonai Zedek means Lord of righteousness, but he's a false righteousness. He's a false Lord. It's a false righteousness that he, that he carries with him. But it says the king Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, Hoham of Hebron, Piram of Jarmuth, Japhia of Lachish, and Debir of Eglon. Come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us, for all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Don't be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horam, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makedah. As the Amorites retreated down the road, both Beth Horam from Beth Horam, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. 
On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in its place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Take note of that. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. But what I'm skipping is that uh, these kings that had come up against Joshua and the Israelites when they saw their defeat was imminent. Their armies were decimated. They went and hid out in a cave. Joshua had a stone rolled across them until he and the Israelites could complete the victory. See, the completion of God's victory happened before their eyes. And when that was done, it says in verse 22, Then Joshua said, Remove the rock covering the opening of the cave and bring the five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they brought them out, Joshua told the commanders of his army, Come out. And put your feet on the, on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, Joshua told them. Be strong and courageous for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. Joshua is a type in the Old Testament of Christ. doesn't mean he is Christ. But we can look at Joshua and we see certain similarities, certain characteristics. Even the name Joshua means salvation. Same thing that Jesus means. As a matter of fact, Jesus and Joshua are very much the same name. means salvation. And when we look at this passage, God is revealing things to us here in these types and these shadows in this story that would be revealed to us, a revelation to us of their meaning and the spiritual reality of their meaning in the New Testament and in our times. This is important to you and I. Adonai Zedek was the Lord of righteousness, but it was a false righteousness. He was a false Lord. And he was defeated by Joshua and his armies, salvation and the armies that fought with him. Victory was given to them. They were handed victory. They had work to do, but the victory was given to them. They were told not to fear. So we do our small part in God's plans, but God does the rest, and we should never be in any doubt of this. We always have something that we have to step out in faith on, but God does the rest. And we need to pray on the day, on the day of victory. We need to pray on that day. And we need to learn from Joshua how to pray. Very declarative. It doesn't sound to me that he's petitioning God. Why is he not petitioning God? Well, because he knows the victory is already his, and it changes the timber and the tone of his prayers. He's praying, believing, but believing differently than many of us pray today. And he invites his soldiers to come and put their feet on the necks of these kings. These kings that have already been stripped of their power and their authority are already subjugated. He invites them to come and put their feet next to his on their necks. This is powerful. 
When we look at Christ, this is very much the same invitation that's been given to you and to me. It's the same invitation. You and I have been given authority to bind and to loose. Let's talk about this a little bit. Matthew 18, 18 in the Amplified. I want to read it to you. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare in the Amplified, to bind, to forbid and declare. Pay attention to that. Forbid and declare. When we bind, we are forbidding something, and it's a declaration, just like Joshua. To be improper, we declare it to be improper and unlawful on the earth, must be what is already forbidden in heaven. This is a little bit different than a lot of translations, but I'm going to prove to you that this is correct, and you should go with this one. Whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit and declare, in other words, what you loose and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. This is really important. It's not as simple as whatever you bind in earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in earth will be loosed in heaven. This, this tense, we, we, don't, we have past, present, and future tense in English. We don't understand what perfect tense is. This bind and declare, this forbid and declare, permit and declare is in the perfect tense in the Greek. The perfect tense means it was accomplished in the past and impacts on today. It was accomplished in the past, changes everything today and forever into the future. So when we bind and we loose, we must be aligned with what was, what was achieved in the past and we can apply it and enforce it as a declaration today before us. We must know the will of God. We must know the will of God. And then we must act on it. Our prayers need to move in this time into a phase of becoming declarations. They should be anyway. We should be declaring before God in his sight the things that should happen in earth that have already happened in the heavens. When we do this, we bring the will of heaven into this situation in front of us, this present situation. The victory was achieved in the past, and it changes everything in our now. Everything in our now and everything in your future nows. Every now moment that you're ever going to have in your future has been changed in the past. That's what present perfect tense, perfect tense means. Hallelujah. You and I have been given authority to bind and to loose. This victory that has been achieved on the cross and this authority that we've been given means something. It means something. Oh, I wish I was in an auditorium full of you guys. I know they would be just like, hallelujah, woo, praise the Lord. We got a few here. I love these guys. Hallelujah. We have authority over our enemy, Satan. Jesus has defeated him. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God spoke to the serpent and, and, and declared the outcome to him. It's our outcome in Christ Jesus. The outcome is that he would strike his heel and Jesus would crush his head, crush his authority. The authority of our enemy has been 
crushed, crushed. And Jesus invites us like Joshua did to put our feet on the neck of our enemy. Hallelujah. When he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore go, it means put your feet on the neck of the enemy. Put your feet next to his. You didn't defeat this enemy. Just like Joshua, this victory is given to you. We have victory over our enemy. Satan has four major defeats that, that, he, that, that are part of that prophetic declaration in Genesis, as, as I can see them. There might be more. I'd love to hear if there are more. But Satan has four major defeats, aside from all the little ones where you and I pony up and put our feet on his neck and apply that authority in the now. Aside from all of those little moments, there are four. He was cast out of heaven. Lucifer was cast out of heaven to earth, defeat number one. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was a defeat to Satan. It was a defeat. That was the crushing of his head. And he's got two more to come. We're in very trying times today, but it's nothing about the trying time that is yet to come that isn't that far away. We can see the dust of it on the horizon. We, but beyond that dust, beyond that tribulation period, beyond the catching away of the church, the great tribulation, and then the coming, the glorious appearing of our Lord, beyond that is a thousand-year reign where he's locked up and incarcerated. Defeat number three, it's guaranteed. You can take it to your eternal bank. Number four, and the final defeat is at the end of that thousand-year period. He's unleashed for a little while. Amazingly enough, there's going to be a group of people who support him. I can't believe that, but that's what Scripture says. That's exactly what's going to happen. They are defeated swiftly by our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the final defeat. That's it. Done. Finished. Kaput. He has four defeats that I can see. We are to apply those defeats, enforce them in every moment that we face our enemy. Every moment. Every moment. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 in the Amplified says, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, it being the cross. Part of this authority to reveal is to display the defeat of our enemy, our enemy subjugated before us. We see Christ's foot there, and he invites us to place our foot next to his. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. God has made a display of him. God has destroyed his power. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, He said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This authority is perfectly aligned with God's will. Don't you ever lose that. Don't lose that. That's your rudder that you sail, you steer by. 
God's will is your rudder, and you need to seek it. You need to have a hand on the tiller at every moment as you sail through life, and God will guide you to where it is that he wants you to go, but it is his will that needs to be guiding you. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. When we teach others to do all that Jesus has commanded us, we are teaching them to seek in every moment and to do in every moment the will of God. That's what it looks like to you and I in our day-to-day walk to be aligned with the will of heaven. And then in a moment, we can bind and loose in line with the will of heaven because we're already in the will of heaven. Amen? When we teach them to do all that he has commanded us to do. Amen? I'm with you even till the end of the age. Boy, the end of this age draws nigh. It is not that far away. And you and I, believer, need to be very serious about our walk with God. We need to be serious about the authority that we have been given. We need to be dedicated to the things of God, dedicated to his will, sold out for him like King David danced before the the. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant. He danced and was a fool before the Ark of the Covenant. He did not conduct himself as a king. To his first wife, he humiliated himself. I'd rather be a fool for Christ than be, be a genius in the eyes of the world. We need to be careful what we focus our attention on. We need to seek to do right and to be right his way. That's what righteousness is, doing right and being right God's way, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, was offered a shortcut. Why was this a temptation? Well, this was a temptation to Jesus because he was hungry. Turn it into loaves and fishes. Jesus, because it was a temptation because he had power. Jump off this building and, you know, God won't let you hit the ground. The angels won't let you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus responded to all of these temptations with Scripture. Luke 4, verses 5 to 8, it says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. The devil took him up and revealed to him in just a moment in time all the kingdoms of the world. All of the kingdoms. We live in kingdoms right now that are run by men, and it's Lucifer, Satan, behind the scenes, pulling the strings. It's a strange clash because God established that authority for government. He established it. And we've got this tension there. The battlefield is there. Oh, I assure you, the battlefield, the spiritual battlefield lies there in the government of men. Because a government can destroy an entire people. 
A government is one of the greatest weapons, like when the tank first rolled onto a World War I battlefield. It can bring terror. Scripture even says so. And yet God has given them authority, and we need to respect them. We need to pray for them. We need to care for them. But for those of you that believe we should just do everything that a government says, I want to challenge your reasoning just for a brief moment. By that very logic, our brothers and sisters in China should turn one another in. The underground church should come above ground and be destroyed. Our brothers and sisters who were rescued by the Australian government from ISIS, we lobbied government specifically so that they would rescue them. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, some of the oldest Christian communities in the world were under threat by their new government, ISIS. And God intervened by that logic that we must just agree with and go along with everything that government says is not correct. It doesn't stand to reason. And it doesn't fit with the whole of Scripture. There's more to it. And I encourage you to prayerfully study and consider. And if anyone has any questions, please come and talk to me about it. In Luke verses Uh, Chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, it says, Then the devil took him up and revealed all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. Now, Jesus came to restore authority and to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth for the glory of his Father. Lucifer knew exactly what to offer, exactly what Jesus was here for. Jesus was here to restore authority back to its rightful place, humanity. We were created in the garden for the glory of God. We had authority, God's kingdom, heaven and earth. There was no division between the two. Lucifer came and usurped that, and he knew for a fact that God would have to come to take it back. Oh, hey, this is a real temptation. To me, this is the coup de grace. If he can get this, you and I are done for all eternity. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Jesus did not say they are not yours to give. He did not say that. Why did he not say that? Because it's not as clear as a lot of people think about submission to government. We do need to be submitted to authority. But there's a difference when there's a choice between doing what government says and doing what God says. There is no choice. There's no choice there to be made for the believer. Verse 7, I will give it all to you if you will just worship me. Jesus replied with Scripture saying, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So what does it look like when you and I walk in this kingdom authority. What does it look like? Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10 give us a little insight. We've had a look at what happened for Joshua. We've had a look at what happened in the garden. We've had a look at uh, Lucifer and how he was defeated. But what does it look like for you and I in a now moment to walk in this authority? We see it so clearly in Luke 9 and particularly in Luke 10. Let's have a read. Uh, Luke chapter 9, I'm just going to read verses 1, 2, and then 6. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons 
and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God to heal the sick. Power and authority cast out demons, heal all diseases. For what purpose? To go and to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. In chapter 10 of Luke, Jesus turns to 70, 72 other disciples. I'm going to read a significant portion of this. Chapter 10 from about verse 1 to 23, if you want to go and read it later. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. There, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray. What was the first order of business? Pray. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take your, any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Verse 16. I'm going to jump to verse 16. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to the Lord, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. I can see them going, Lord, check it out. You wouldn't believe what happened. They obeyed us. Look at me. I'm from Galilee. I'm totally unacceptable. I'm not that guy. They never picked me first for sports in PE class when I was a kid. You know, you could just see it. It's like they, they obeyed us. Can you believe this? Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. We're going to come back to that. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? The name of Jesus will not help you. The authority of Jesus will not help you unless you are his, unless you are in Christ Jesus. I'll talk at the end. I'll give you an opportunity to receive the Lord. It's so, it's so simple. As, as your, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Salvation is free to you. Jesus in verse 21, I love this. And it really hit me while I was preparing. I'd never seen it before. I love the Word of God. Yeah. And, and I've had a season where I really needed some joy. And i got to tell you, this hit me and brought such joy with it. it was just such joy with it. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. This authority that brings revelation carries with it such joy. It unlocks such joy from the Holy Spirit, just a beautiful joy that can just hit you. And Jesus was, was just taken up in that joy 
of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Then he turned to the disciples and said, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. What does this do to us? There's a lot that we could pull out of that, that we should pray before we do anything. Yeah. That it's not personal when we're rejected. They're rejecting Jesus, and by rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting God. They're not rejecting you. It just feels like it. Don't be astonished when demons obey you. Don't get drawn into that. Yeah. I've seen the demonic happen. Many people, if you've been in the body of Christ long enough and in Pentecostal circles long enough, you have seen it happen. I've seen it happen whilst lobbying politicians. I've seen it happen before my eyes whilst lobbying politicians when they're in front of the cameras and the teleprompter you I, I don't expect you're ever going to see one froth at the mouth this battle is real yeah. it's real folks we need to pray for them we need to fight for them we need to do spiritual warfare for them God loves them so much. God does not hate the demon possessed. He hates everything that brought them to that point. He hates the demon that is inside of them. And you and I need to go in the now and fight for them. Hmm. I want to show you something about believing. One of the goals, the benefits for you and I of walking in this authority and seeing it play out before our eyes, one of these goals, even in the passage I just read, if I kept on going there in, in Luke 10, if I kept going down to 24 and 25, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, how blessed are you to see these things? There were so many of the prophets of old and your forefathers that longed to see this and here you are. How blessed are you? Oh, we're blessed to see it. We're blessed to see it, but we're blessed to see it because it does something to us. It has an impact on you and I when we walk in this authority. When we walk in this authority, our faith is stirred. Our faith begins to grow. Our faith begins to more strongly and clearly and easily manifest in these now moments that I'm talking about. In the Gospel of John chapter 20, I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but I just want to pick a few things out of this moment when Jesus brings Lazarus out of the tomb and brings him back to life. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. The disciples said, he's, he's, oh, if he's sleeping, he'll be fine because Jesus said he sleeps. But Jesus had to be clear with these guys, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. There are times where it seems like we suffer so needlessly in life. I got to tell you, God can use every one of these moments for our benefit. He's not surprised by it. He had a plan beforehand. Before he laid the foundations of the world, he had a plan to use that moment 
for his glory and to help you. To help you do what? To help you grow in your faith, your most holy faith. Your most holy faith. Your, your faith is not a lowercase f. It is a gold-plated, gilded, beautiful ornament about your neck, your most holy faith. Why have you doubted it? Ask God to forgive you for your doubt. Because it is time, brothers and sisters, to believe. It's time for us to believe. No more doubt. No more doubt. I'm preaching to myself. Come on, kid, preach it. Yes, brother. Amen. I need to hear this too. Mm. Come, let us see. Jumping down to verse 40. It says, Jesus talking to Martha. Jesus talking to Martha. Martha's like, don't roll the stone away. He's been dead for days. He's going to stink. In the King James, he stinketh. And Jesus said to him, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? This, the death of Lazarus, all this misery, all of this suffering, all of this sadness was so that people would believe. How extravagant is God in his love? How extravagant is he in his love? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all the people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Jesus didn't have to say it out loud. It was for those that were standing around, and it got recorded, and now here we are talking about it today. Hallelujah. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, and his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Hallelujah. 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 So what's the revelation there? The Father sent Jesus, believe it. That's the revelation. It's like a math equation. God the Father sent Jesus the Son. He's got all authority over death, hell, and the grave. Believe it. Hallelujah. That authority brings revelation, revelation that brings faith. I'm going to begin a process of, of wrapping things up here. John 14, verses 12 to 14. This is a seminal verse. It's one we all know very well, but I want to start to bring back some of these points that I've been showing to you. I want to bring it to you so that you can really capture it. Verse 12 says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So the Son, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I will do it. He says it twice. Ask anything in my name. He says it twice. I will do it. He says it twice. It's emphatic. He starts it off with I T. 
tell you the truth. When you doubt if God's going to do it, when you doubt if the name of Jesus is really going to bring results for you in a given moment, that is a lie. You're being tempted to believe a lie. Go back to what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. You can say, Lord, you told me the truth. You invited me to, to ask for anything in your name and that you will do it. And if you've got your hand on the rudder of God's wheel, if you've been seeking to do right and to be right in his sight, go for it. What are you waiting for? Go for it. <laughs> Come on, we need to be the go for it generation. Hallelujah. We need to go for it. This authority authenticates the message that we carry. It authenticates the fact, the fact, the spiritual reality fact that God has been victorious and he's given that victory to us. And it also authenticates, proves to be true that Satan is defeated. He is our defeated and subjugated foe. He is our defeated and subjugated foe. Jesus invites us to put our feet next to his, our loving Savior. Come, child, put your feet next to mine on the neck of your subjugated enemy, the enemy of your souls. All of this to bring glory to the Father above. Romans chapter 8 Verse 31, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I think you know the answer. The answer is no one and no thing. No one and no thing. I started with Jude verses 24 to 25. I want to turn them into a prayer for you. Now, all glory to God. It starts with giving God glory. Let's pray this. I'm going to turn this into a prayer. Agree with me. This might be sloppy, it might be messy, but it's the right thing to do. God, we give you glory. We give you all the glory that is yours yes, because it's all yours. Yes, Where we've taken any for ourselves, we repent and we give you all of the glory. We believe that you are able to keep us from falling away, from falling away from your truth, from falling away from your will, from being carried away with the things of this world, especially the way this world is going. We believe, we know for a certainty that you will bring us with great joy into your glorious presence, into your presence that is filled with all of the glory that is already yours. All that we will inhabit the space where your glory is. And we won't have a single fault before you. We won't be like we've been. We won't be like we were born. We'll be as we were always intended to be. 
all for your glory. So we give you all glory to you alone, God. You're our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Give you all glory, majesty. We just declare your majesty, your power, your authority. That these were yours be all before all time and are yours today and will be yours forevermore. There's never a moment that you exist without it. And we get to come and experience it. We say amen, so let it be done. Let it be done exactly as we've just prayed. We ask this in Jesus' name and know that you will do it. We believe it. We give you praise for it. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.